Father, we thank you this morning uh, that you are God and that you are on your throne, that you are sovereign over our lives, and that we can trust you that you are a good God. The work that you have begun in our lives, that you will bring it through to completion. Father, we also know that we many times come to the gathering of, of worship with burdens as Andy indicated even earlier in our song service and struggles and fears, anxieties, doubts, sin. So Father, I pray right now, this moment in the quietness of our heart that we would cast those at the foot of the cross. We would confess those things knowing that you would forgive us and you'll cast them as far as the east is from the west. But Father, most importantly, I pray right now this morning that we would have a heart that is desirous to hear from you. That your spirit would stir us up and cause us to be attentive to our condition as sinful mankind in light of you as a holy God. And that, Father, this morning there's going to be things that we need to take business of, take care of. Relationships that need to be addressed. Sins that um, need to be confessed. Father, sins of omission and commission that we need to be mindful of this morning. I pray that you would stir us up, that we would be ready and willing to receive your word, that your word would take root deep in our heart. It would grow and bear fruit for the days to come. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to continue our series through the book of Ephesians as we make our way to chapter 5 here. Chapter 5 is, it's, it's a pretty heavy chapter. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on in chapter number 5 as Paul through chapter 4 has transitioned from the theological. He is now going deep into the practical application of these truths of how we put them into what? Action. And um, there's, there's going to be topics. There's going to be things that are going to be addressed in chapter 5 uh, just so we're all aware, that are going to be very uncomfortable. Um, there's going to be things that Paul is communicating to his readers that are going to have direct application into our lives. And I pray that the Spirit would, would give us the courage and the ability by His grace to tackle these topics straight on and to consider how we can be more like Christ in the midst of that confrontation. And so there's going to be topics of sins, sexual immorality, and filthiness, and impurity that are going to be discussed early in chapter 5. There's going to be uh, roles within the marriage as husbands and wives that are going to be addressed, and there's going to be our, our, our actual testimony in this world at large that's going to be called into light. And I pray that we would be ready and willing to receive the Word and to respond rightly to it. That's, that's easier said than done, Right? And it's certainly easier said than done for uh, the preacher who uh, has to deliver some of these topics. And so I pray for us collectively that we would, by His grace, humbly approach the remainder of our series through Ephesians um, and that we would be more like Christ as a result of that the gospel would work in and through us so that we collectively could be the body of Christ, fitly joined together as He would have us to be. So let's start with just reading our text this morning 
Um, I was originally tasked to preach down through verse 17 on this first week, and I only got through verse 6 with seven pages of notes, so I thought I better stop there um, just for sake of time. And so we we may have to adjust our our weekly schedule. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this in two weeks, but we'll see how it goes. But uh, let's let's start reading in verse number 1. We'll read through verse 6 and uh, get into our sermon here this morning. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and impure and who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the Son's of disobedience. Again, chapter number five is a tough chapter. I've entitled the message this morning of these first six verses, Walking with Purpose. Have you ever seen somebody walking with purpose? Have you ever used that term? Right? You've seen somebody maybe in a mall or walking through the airport and they are walking with purpose. It's kind of humorous sometimes, isn't it? When you really just kind of stop and consider how they're walking and how, you know, what they're doing while they're walking. I mean, they are on a what? They're on a, on a mission, right? We use that, that term, right? You know when you see somebody walking with purpose that they're going someplace. They've got people to see, places to go, things to do. They're walking with purpose. And there's other people as you're walking through that airport or walking through the mall that are walking with no purpose, right? They are just... Walking for the sake of walking. Maybe they are people watching. Maybe they're just killing time. They just have not a care in the world. And you can tell by their disposition, their demeanor, and the pace of their step that they are just there. Right? They're, they're just there. They're just killing time. And they have real sense of no purpose at that moment. And so, a similar sense, pardon the illustration, but Paul is urging us as Christians in our walk with the Lord, to walk with purpose, to have a skip in our step, to hustle a little bit, right? I, Riley and I are coaching our first and second grade girls basketball team for Liberty Parks and Rec, and um, they're doing a great job. Valerie, where are you at? Valerie, raise your hand. Valerie's doing a great job. She had a great shot yesterday. Maddie, raise your hand. Maddie's doing a great job. She's hustling, playing some killer defense. That's what Stanley's do. We play defense. Um, but she's doing a great job, right? And, and we're trying to get these girls in, in practice to understand what a sense of, of urgency. Now, again, keep in mind these are first and second grade girls, right? So that means they're six and seven years old. They like to have a lot of fun. And when they get together with a lot of first and second grade girls, there is very little sense of urgency over anything, but rather there's a whole lot of, of giggles, 
There's a whole lot of hugs and a whole lot of fun going on in that team huddle, right? But we're trying to get these girls to understand that, hey, when we transition from one drill to another, that we need to have a little, we need to have a little hustle. We need to have a little skip in our step. When we transition, we need to, we need to get moving, right? When you, when you lose that rebound and the other team gets the ball, we've got to hustle back and get back on, on defense. So therefore, they need to move with a, a purpose. We don't want them just casually walking across the basketball court to get back on defense, right? And so walking with purpose. I think we have the mental picture of what that looks like. And so Paul, in a similar sense, again, is urging us to live our Christian life, to flesh out our Christian life and our choices, in our actions, in our lifestyle, in our conduct, in a way that shows that we are living with purpose, that we are on mission with Christ and what he would have us to do in our life. So this morning, I'm not going to get too cute with our outline. Uh, we're just going to let the text be our guide. Uh, and really, the text is structured this way, right? Verses 1 and 2 give us two clear commands that we are going to look at and examine what they, what they mean for our lives. And then really, verses 3 all the way down through verse number 14 and even in through verse number 17, really give us the how, right? What does it look like for us to be one, imitators of God, and what does it look like for us to walk in love? And so these first two verses, Paul tells us first that we can walk with purpose in this world by imitating God and walking in love. Again, Paul encourages his readers to imitate the character of God. That's a pretty big ask, isn't it? That's one thing for Paul to say, hey, be imitators of me. Right? I can handle that one. Paul is a human being. I can kind of stack myself up okay with, with Paul, although he did some incredible things. I'm thinking, hey, look, I've at least got a chance to be an imitator of Paul because he's flesh and blood like me, a human being. Right? It's one thing often Paul will tell his readers to imitate even other churches in other epistles, and in other letters that Paul will write. But it's one thing, and this is the only time, that Paul will urge his readers to imitate God himself. Man, that seems like an impossible task when you examine this last week and the choices that you made and how you stewarded your time for the glory of God or the lack thereof. Doesn't it seem like a daunting task to be an imitator of God? It is. Can we do that? That's a trick question, isn't it? Absolutely, we can. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by His grace in our life, we have been given everything that we need that pertains to life and what? Godliness. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us so. God has certainly equipped us with the ability to do that, but can we do that on our own? The answer to that question is absolutely not. I do not have the ability to walk in love and to be an imitator of God in and of myself. Why? Because I am crippled by my own flesh, by my own mind, by the philosophies of this world that creep their way into my heart and my life. And so I need the Lord's help. And certainly as we work our way through Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, Paul is going to encourage us with our ability to do that. But this ask here in verse number one is not a vain ask. It's based on what the context of the previous chapters. That we have been saved, 
that we have been chosen, that we are his beloved children. And as a, as a result, we've been given what? An inheritance with God through Christ. And so our identity has been radically changed. And so now Paul is urging us to imitate God and to walk in love. My son, Grayson. Grayson, where are you at, buddy? You give me a wave? No, no wave. All right, that's okay. Right, Grayson will often say, you know, and, and many of you have sons or daughters, right? Grayson will often say, hey, Dad, when I grow up, who do they want to be like? I want to be like Dad. Now, that's kind of humbling in and of itself, right? But the reality is this, right? Grayson thinks that I'm basically a superhero, right? I am. I tell him that often. No, he says, no, I'm not. He's, he's ruining my story right now. Come on, buddy. I'll give you that, I'll give you that cookie later if you work with me here a little bit. Um, right, but we play around, right? And his favorite superhero is the Incredible Hulk. He was the Hulk for, uh, for Halloween. He enjoyed that, dressing up like Hulk, right? And he just thinks, right, when he's got that outfit on, that he can crush anything, right? He can take on the world, and there's one thing about sons and daughters that you know that are sons and, and fathers is that as they grow up, as these sons grow up, they, they idolize their father. They want to be like their dad, right? The old saying, my dad is stronger than what? Your dad, right? You remember as a little boy, right? Getting in those arguments with, on the schoolyard, right? We just, we think that dads just have this uh, innate ability then they can do no wrong. Right, And so this grace and understanding or saying, hey, dad, I want to be like you when I grow up, it's based on my relationship with him. I've given Grayson a lot of love and care and mercy and grace, but also given him a lot of instruction and discipline in his life, right? And as a result, Grayson can think of nobody else that he'd rather be like than his dad, so as we consider this ask that Paul has to his readers and therefore to us, where he says, therefore, be imitators of who? God. It's based on a relationship that we have a heavenly father and that we are his what? Beloved children. We are his beloved children. As a result, we should desire to be like our father. We see how God relates to his children in grace and mercy and love, providing for their deepest need of salvation. And we have an opportunity to embrace those same character qualities, to embrace those same traits that God displays to us, that we can display those to others. So therefore, be like your dad. Paul's encouraging his readers to simply be like the one that has so perfectly cared for them and made provision for their greatest need. So imitating God, how do we do that? Imitating God is best fleshed out by what? Walking in love. Verse number two, and walk in love. To be like God is simply to love others. This is the second action that Paul gives to his readers. Be imitators of God is pretty general, but now Paul is getting more specific to walk in. What does it mean to walk? What does it mean to walk in love? As you look at this word, it means literally to continue in, to conduct yourself in a manner that is characterized by what? By love. Love has fallen on hard times from a definition perspective in the world that we live in, 
right? We're coming up on Feb- in February. We know February. We got Valentine's Day. We're going to see lots of cards and lots of flowers, and we're going to express lots of love to different special people in our lives. But what does love really mean? What does it involve? What does it look like to love somebody else? As we consider that definition, what do we know the world says about love? That love is typically a what? Just a base feeling. It is something that I can typically express by words to somebody else. Right? But as we look at God's Word, as we look at our text this morning, Paul is going to give us a very specific example of what love looks like. And certainly word, certainly love is an expression. Certainly love involves sharing words with other people, but it doesn't stop there. It involves action. Love always involves action, and not just any type of action. Love always involves sacrifice. The greatest way that I can demonstrate to somebody else that I truly love them and care for them is that if I sacrifice myself, my resources, my time for their benefit. That's what love is. And that's certainly as we look at the life of Christ, we look at his person and work. Did not Christ embody that in the most perfect way? Giving of himself to meet the needs of another. That is what it looks like to love. And so when Paul tells us to imitate God as beloved children, our new identity in Christ, he then tells us to secondly walk in love with the example of Christ. It goes on to say, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. I can say that I love my wife and my kids. I can say that I care for them deeply, but my wife would call all of that into question if I failed to invest time into that relationship with her. My wife would call me out on the carpet if I said I loved her, but yet I didn't even live in the house. I had my own house, my own apartment, my own job, my own schedule, my own priorities. I spent no time with her, talking with her, developing that relationship. I gave nothing to my kids. I didn't help provide for them. Is that what love looks like? Absolutely not. Love is action and it is sacrifice and I'm willing to give of myself for my family. Why? So that they know that I love them. This is what it looks like for us to walk in love. Paul is pointing us here in this, these first couple of verses. He's pointing us to the cross. And he's causing us to stop. He's doing a, a spiritual T.O. here in these first two verses. And he's just saying, hey, look at Christ. Look at, look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at those nail prints in his hand. Look at that. Look at that wound in his side. Look at, look at the blood that was shed from his body. Why? For, for you and for me. This is what Paul is calling us to remember. To remember Christ. To remember the gospel. Because it's when we remember Christ. It's when we remember the gospel that we can walk in love. 
Because that's what it looks like to be a Christ follower. To imitate God means I'm going to imitate His actions towards me. For God so loved the world, John 3 tells us, that He did what? He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So friends, consider this. How are you imitating God in how you are giving of yourself? How are you imitating Christ by taking on humility, uh, Philippians 2 tells us, and taking on flesh in the form of a servant and going to the cross and giving of himself? How am I taking that mind in my own life? How am I fleshing that out in the context of my relationships, in my home, in my workplace, in my community, with my neighbors? It's easy for us to run past this first verse or two because it's familiar and, and there's some lingo that, that is easy for us to talk about in the church. But friends, when the rubber meets the road, the question is, am I living this out? Am I embodying the mind of Christ? Am I imitating God by giving of myself and my time and my resources for the benefit of somebody else? Or do I look at these divine interventions in my life where the Holy Spirit nudges me? Do I, do I view those as just an inconvenience in my day? I'd rather just shut the blinds, close the door, disengage from my community, and be in my own little world. Friends, how easy is it for us to fall into that mindset? Paul is urging us to get out of our comfort zone and to engage with others in a very unique way as Christ did, as Christ did. So what is, what is, I guess we could call it the motivation, the motive. What is the response, we could even call it, of God to this type of life? I love this last phrase of verse number two. It says this, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering offering and sacrifice to God. It's been maybe a few years since I've used this illustration. Often when I, when I see these, these words fragrant come up in, in, in the Bible, uh, the illustration I often use is, is my wife's warm vanilla sugar bath and body work scent, right? When we were just dating in college, right? I'm 19 years old, right? So it's been a few years, if you couldn't tell, right? Um, just a couple, though. But I can remember vividly, right? That was the scent that my wife wore back then, right? And even to this day, as soon as I smell that, I think of, man, that is a beautiful smell. Why? Because I associate that with my beautiful wife. Now that I've thoroughly embarrassed her, we can, we can move on here to taking that illustration over to just as, man, I, I smell that fragrance and that just brings back memories and it represents a relationship. But then I think of what? My life and my actions in a similar sense, can be a fragrant offering to who? To God. When he, sees, when he sees me living and loving and engaging with others in this self-sacrificial way, taking on the mind of Christ and, and the life of Christ, trying to embody those types of actions, man, that is just a sweet aroma to God. Man, he is pleased. He gets excited about seeing his beloved children. Again, remember, that's who we are in this verse. He gets excited seeing his beloved children living and loving in that way. So my, 
My question of application is this. Is your life today, is it a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? When you consider how you view others and you view other relationships and opportunities, does God look at your life and say, ah, it's beautiful. Man, gives you the attaboy. He says, keep going. He encourages you. Is that a fragrant offering to the Lord as you consider your choices and the stewardship of your time? And again, how you're engaging with others at a fragrant sacrifice and offering to the Lord. So we're called to walk, to continue in, to persevere, to be steadfast to what? Imitate God by sacrificially loving others in our sphere of influence. That is a life, again, that is deeply pleasing to the Lord. This brings us to a transition in our text, right? We're in verse number three now. Paul now shift to the how of imitating and walking in love. So number two, second point this morning is this. Verses three through six, Paul tells us secondly that we can walk with purpose in this world by avoiding worldliness. We can walk with purpose in this world by avoiding worldliness. Paul gives us three groupings, if you will, of of these sets of sins. All three groupings include three different types or categories of sin that we should consider. Um, We should consider them very serious. We We should consider them very harmful. And then we should consider these warnings that Paul is giving us that will keep us from what? Imitating God and walking in love. And then ultimately, it will keep us from being that fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. We oftentimes, I don't know about you, friends, but when I see a, a list or a group of sins, um, it doesn't automatically just kind of challenge you, right? You start going through one, two, three, four, five, six sins that are listed in our text, and you just automatically think, you know, wow, I, this, this is tough. I mean, I can, I can make connection of, of areas that I've, I've failed here or I've failed there, I, I, can, I can think of opportunities that I can confess sins. I can think of opportunities that I could put up better uh, guide, guide rails and, and barriers to ensure that I don't, I don't walk in the flesh, but rather I walk in the Spirit. So I want to be careful to kind of uh, tee this up, that as we go through these list of sins, that we understand that we have a helper. Andy uh, chose a song this morning. We have... The song was what? A mediator. You realize that? We have an advocate in Jesus Christ who is before the throne of God right now, making intercession on your behalf and my behalf. When my heart and my flesh fail, when my faith wavers, that I have Jesus Christ making intercession, that the Holy Spirit, the comforter and the helper, the paraclete, is at my disposal The Spirit of Christ is working in and through me to equip me, to change me, to renew my mind, to transform my way of thinking so that I can become more like Jesus Christ. And so I want to be careful as I go through these sins that it doesn't cast a cloud of discouragement um, because the encouragement is coming as we work our way through this text, but we're we're not going to quite get there as we end through verse 6. So I 
I, want to be, I don't want to end this sermon on a downer like, man, we're just horrible sinners and there's no hope and we failed miserably. So, so hang on with me here as we work our way through chapter five and we consider again what we've been given in Christ. And don't forget our context. Chapters one, two, and three, we've been reminded of everything that we have in Jesus Christ. So, so remember, sin is, is a big deal. Why is it a big deal for a Christian? Why is it important that we have a healthy view of sin, a biblical view of sin, a proper view of sin? Because we understand theologically that when we have unconfessed sin in our life, that what does it do with our relationship with God? It breaks that fellowship. Why? Because God is, he's holy. He's just, he's good. He can have no fellowship with the works of unrighteousness and sin. And so therefore, it is important for us to have a short sin account in our life that we go through a regular cadence of understanding that God is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So therefore, confess and confess often and confess again and repent. The change of heart, a change of mind that results in a change of action. I believe this is what Paul wants us to understand as we look at these very serious categories of sin. So as we go through this section, again, Paul is going to draw some very clear connections to the choices that we make, which lead to our understanding of right and wrong, which will identify our behavior and conduct as either helpful or hurtful to our relationship with God. This will ultimately either help or hurt our ability to imitate God and walk in love. So Paul will dispel the myth of acceptable sins. He will call us to raise the bar on our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ as beloved children. With that said, Paul jumps right into it. Verse number three, he says what? But sexual immorality. Paul comes out swinging here with, with the big one. But he starts with this conjunction, right? This conjunction marks a transition of thought where Paul is moving from the positive in verses one and two. And now in contrast, he is moving to the warning of this negative behavior. So Paul starts again with sexual immorality. The word here in the Greek is porneia, which obviously where we get our English term of pornography and other words that are associated with that type of activity and behavior. Paul's use of this term would adjust what? Sexual activity of any kind outside of a committed marital relationship. It was true then, friends, and it certainly is true now. Our flesh is waging war against our spirit. And so I want to stop here, and I'll certainly be careful with how we address this topic. But friends, we have an epidemic in this world, and it is around this topic of pornography. And it is around this topic of sexual immorality. And friends, I want to challenge us as an elder and a pastor to our church to consider how we are stewarding these topics in our homes. When was the last time you had a conversation, age appropriately, obviously, with your children around these types of topics? When was the last time you considered what types of electronic devices you have in your home and how they are protected or otherwise not protected? Friends, if there is an internet connection on a device, it needs to have 
some type of visibility of activity, accountability to other brothers and sisters in Christ, and understand the dangers of it. I don't care if it's an Xbox 360. I don't care if it's a PlayStation 3 or I don't know. I think they have a 4 now. I don't care if it's a handheld Nintendo device. I don't care if it's a smartphone, a smart TV, a tablet, whatever it is in your home. Satan is waging war on, his, on the church, Christ Jesus' church. And we have to understand the importance of taking these topics very, very seriously. Your flesh cannot handle it. You don't have it under control. There's no such thing as just a little bit of sin. You remember John 10.10 as we went through, just finished out our our Gospel of John series. What do we remember in John 10.10? Christ says that there is a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to use topics such as these to do just that, to steal your marriage to ruin your reputation and testimony in the community and in the church. He has come to steal what God intended for good. He has come to distort what God meant for our benefit and our joy. And so friends, let's not play with fire here. Because when we play with fire, you're always going to what? Get burned. And so Paul is calling out right out of the gates here. The first one that he lists is this sexual immorality. Satan desires to continue to wreak havoc. He's having a heyday, potentially in your family, in your marriage, potentially in our church, in relationships that you know, and we're simply not doing much about it. Romans 6 tells us, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We jump down to verse number 12. Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make, it, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And then in verse 15, Paul states again, what then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means. Friends, I don't care how horribly you've failed. I don't care how far lost you think you've gone in this area and this topic God's grace is bigger. God's grace is better. And God's grace is in the business of redeeming that which is broken. And so friends, don't give up the fight. Continue to move forward in your relationship with God. Keep fighting for godliness in your life. Keep preaching the gospel to your heart. Keep leaning into your marriage. Keep having that conversation with your kid because it is worth it. Friends, 43% of pastors say that they have struggled with pornography in the past. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. One in five 
youth pastors and one in seven senior lead pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling. That's more than 50,000 churches in the United States. 51% of male students and 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years. Their first exposure to pornography among men is on average 12 years old. 71% of teens actively are hiding online behavior from their parents. You think we have a problem? You think that we need to take this serious? You think Satan wants to ruin our lives to steal, and steal, kill, and destroy? Absolutely. So, I, friends, I know, trust me, I, I'm the one delivering this. I, I know these topics can be uncomfortable to address. And some of you might even be sitting here saying, Eric, this may even be inappropriate to talk about in, in the church setting. But, friends, I'm, I'm telling you that the silence has got to stop around this topic. We need to be comfortable addressing this topic with our families and in the church. I can come to no other conclusion, friends, that we are failing and our silence must end. The conversations, the lifelines, the bearing of burdens in this topic of immorality, it must begin today. Brothers, men in this room, what relationship do you have in your life to ask you those hard questions? Ladies in this room, what relationship do you have in your life to ensure that your heart is guarded and protected? This is what it looks like for us to be what? Fitly joined together. Remember chapter four? It wasn't too far ago, was it? This is what it looks like for us as the body of Christ to come together and truly do life together. Because when we do life together, guess what? It gets, it gets messy. Because I'm telling you, if you engage with me in my life, guess what's going to be exposed? My sin. I hate to say it, but I'm a sinner. Right? Hi, Eric. I'm a, my name's Eric, and I'm a sinner, right? Can we, can we have that moment? Right? This, doing life together is tough. It's not easy. It's not clean. It's, it's got to get messy. We have got to get in the foxhole. We have got to get in the trenches with one another and stir each other up to love and good works. This is exactly what Paul is attempting to do here. Maybe you're feeling hot, being held hostage by the weight of your sin. This morning, friends, you can cry out to God. He will hear you. And he will encourage you. And he will give you the courage to seek out help. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're winning this morning one click at a time, one moment of isolation at a time. My pastoral challenge again would be to protect your home, to protect your hearts and your minds of your young people. Every device, again, that has an internet connection, search it out. How do I protect it? How do I get out of the darkness? How do I set up guidelines and rules? Healthy usage of technology to be for our good and not our detriment. Friends, it means that we're going to walk with purpose. This is what it looks like. Job meant business with God in this area. He said, I made a covenant with God and his eyes that he would not what? Look upon a woman. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision 
for the flesh, to gratify its desires. Psalm 101.3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Don't you love that verse? That's some resolve. That's some urgency. That's some stick to And that's what we need. And these areas, these categories of sins that Paul is calling out. So brothers and sisters, this is, again, not just a guy problem. This is a human being problem. This is human nature. This is total depravity. We are all on the same playing field when it comes to the failures and the weaknesses of our flesh. So Paul goes on to this second word, the second topic. What is it? But sexual immorality and all what? Impurity. So he goes again to this uh, little bit of a broader term, this, this term of impurity, which can generally refer to a sense of uncleanness. But oftentimes in Paul's writing, this term is also connected and associated again with sexual immorality. So he goes on then to address a third sin in our first grouping, which is, is covetousness. This at first glance seems a little odd to be attached to the first two categories that were mentioned. Paul just throws in covetousness. And I think we have, unfortunately, a, a pretty simple understanding of covetousness, right? We basically understand that, hey, man, I wish that, um, I wish that I had Dave's new sweater over here. Man, it's a really nice sweater, and I wish I had it, and I don't have it. And that's covetousness. Is that covetousness? Yeah, sure it is, right? But in light, again, of our sinful human nature, in light of the context of these categories of sins, Paul is using this term covetousness to denote that we are desired to take something in our own lives that is not ours for our only, for the benefit of our only, excuse me, only for the benefit of our own pleasure. So when I think of covetousness, taking something that is not mine, right? We can all remember King David in 2 Samuel chapter number 11. It all started with what? Covetousness. What did David do when he was up on that balcony? He saw and he desired what was not his. And that covetousness ultimately fleshed out in actions when he, what? He took what was not his. His sexual greed or covetous taking what is not mine for the sole benefit of my pleasure. This land led to scheming, to lying, to deceit, to murder, not only of Uriah, but also of other soldiers on that battlefield as David schemed to cover up his ungodliness and his sin. So Paul says what about these sins, these three categories of sins? What does he say about this conduct or behavior? What is his conclusion about this type of walk for the life of a Christ follower? Paul makes it very clear and allows no rumor of confusion what God's expectations are for his beloved children. Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, that sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness must not even be named among you. Paul just set the bar there a little bit on these topics. Must not even be named among you. See, Paul isn't even necessarily concerned about the action which he is, 
But he's going to step further and say, look, this shouldn't even be associated with your name. It should be even an earshot of your life and your conduct and your activity. Why? Because you are a beloved child of God. Must not even be named among you. I'm so glad that Paul does this. Because why? He ties it back to what the relationship. He says, as is what proper among saints. He's drawing us back to that relationship between God the Father and His beloved children. This isn't about us towing the line of a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. This isn't about us being consumed with trying to somehow through my actions earn more grace in the eyes of God, that God is more pleased with me because I do some things and not other things? Absolutely not. This is all about understanding that I've been bought with the price and that I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as a result, he goes back to that relationship and he says, it must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. You know, it's interesting, my children, oftentimes when they ask me if they can do something or have something, I give them an answer and it's not what they want. And that answer isn't what they want and it's typically a no or if I'm feeling good, maybe a maybe. And they start to work on me, right? They try to, you know, put on the, uh, the, the legal hat for a little bit and they try to make some really good cases. And typically what they do is this. They try to pull in a familiar relationship that they know I would know that has said yes to the same activity, right? Maybe they'll ask me to go to this uh, glorious place in Liberty called Fun Run, right? Have you guys ever heard of Fun Run? It's a bunch of inflatables. The kids love it. It's, it's like, uh, it's a great place. It's infested with disease and germs. It's great, right? Um, right, and so, so my kids will say, Dad, can we go to Fun Run? And I'll say, you know, we got a really busy day. I just don't think that's going to work. And they said, but so-and-so at school said that they were going to be there. And their dad said that they were going to take them to fun run, right? So they tried to play that leverage card. Man, it doesn't take long for them to learn that tactic, right? Right? Or maybe it's just something simple like, you know, hey, when we sit in church, I want my kids to sit up and I want them to listen. I want to be attentive like they're doing a great job here right now. And they say, I want to do this during church. I want to bring this into church. I want to do this activity during the church service, maybe because somebody else does it or because somebody else does that. And my answer is no. Why? Because you're a Stanley. Right? Other kids might do other things. Other families might make other choices. But... As long as your last name is Stanley, which it will be for a very long time, we're going to do things, we're going to do things this way, right? We're going to do things this way. And so they have certain actions and they interact in certain ways as is becoming of a Stanley, right? They're going to act and they're going to talk and they're going to behave as we have set those standards for our family. I'm really not like a militant disciplinarian, I promise. My kids have fun. We, we love them a lot. But, you know, we, we have, like, you know, at, at, the, at the dinner table, right? We, we chew with our mouths closed most of the time. Most of the time they get that one, right? Um, they, they sit up straight. Um, they're not wiggling around. Um, yep, 
Maddie's got the logo bug there. She's doing a good job, right? So, so this is, these are things that we do. Why? Because we're Stan, Stanleys, and this is the standard. It's the same thing in our Christian life, right? Paul is urging us to, to walk and to live and to make choices in light of who we are. We are beloved children of who? Of God. And so Paul is saying what? Act like it. Operate. Make choices, think and act in a manner that's becoming of your identity as a beloved child of God. As a beloved child of God. Again, friends, this is, this is all about the gospel. This is all about what the Bible tells us, that we will never be good enough in God's eyes. That's why he sent Jesus that's why he called us out. That's why he chose us for the foundation of the world. And that's why he tells us in Matthew 11, come to me. Andy references first early, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and what will, what will he do? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is Light. This is why God's word tells us in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage, excuse me, war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, friends, We've been bought with the price. Paul is calling us to live and to walk in that reality. There's no such thing as this cheap grace. Only grace that is flowing crimson by the blood of Jesus. Grace that was freely given of no merit of our own. It's because of that reality Paul is urging us to embrace the relationship that we've been given in Jesus and to embrace this idea of sanctification that is nothing more than knowing, believing, and living in the reality that I've been set apart from the world, but I've also been set apart to Christ. So I can live out chapters four, chapter number four, verse number one, where Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of that sacrifice. Our behavior, yours and mine, must be consistent with our identity as God's chosen people. The question this morning is this, is it? Is your behavior and is my behavior, my conduct, my walk, is it consistent with our identity as God's chosen, beloved children? And we need to be done this morning. So let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to make a note there and we will pick this up next week, right? It's about 20 after, and we need to get to our children's church and such. Um, yeah, we'll just pick it up. That's a good, that's a good spot to stop, stop right there. Um, so, friends, this is, this is the, the challenge this morning. I'd encourage you this. We went through our first group of sins. We went through and reminded us again that we are desiring to be imitators of God as beloved children, that that is pleasing to the Lord, and as such, based on our identity as children of God, 
that we should walk in a certain way, putting off sins and putting on the new man as we just looked at in Ephesians chapter number four. Let's close in a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless the rest of our time as we um, break out in our application and discussion time. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Uh, I know there's a lot of heavy things in our heart. Um, I know even my mind this morning, Father, there's just so much there to communicate in this text, uh, so much to say, and I pray that we would do our due diligence even this week to get into this scriptures and to uh, really immerse ourselves in it, understanding that it has life to pour into our choices, to renew our minds in the spirit of Christ and to walk in a new way, to put off the old man and to put on the new man. And so, Father, this morning, I even want to just close by acknowledging, I, I even had this further in the sermon, Father, but we didn't get there, just acknowledging that these choices that we have impact how we interact in the world, impact how we think. And we know that these sins ultimately have a progression to them as our, our flesh and the world and the devil continues to wax worse and worse and worse in, in ways that we really could have never imagined a, a number of decades ago. Even this morning, we, we understand that this is a special uh, time for uh, faith communities all across the world to acknowledge the sanctity of, of human life. So, Father, we thank you that you hold all life valuable. We thank you that you have given us definitions of marriage between one man and one woman, that you have given us clear definitions of, of gender that are true and right and good and that glorify you as male and female, having great significance in this world as they are fleshed out in those gender roles. So Father, we know that as society continues to wax worse and worse at marriage and, and gender, it, it even impacts how we view life altogether. The epidemic of, of, of abortion, uh, killing unborn babies, is, uh, it breaks our heart, Father, and I pray that you would awaken the church, that you would awaken our country to um, the devastation of of these decisions. And so, Father, I pray that by your grace that you would bring um, a revival, an awakening that would start right here in our own hearts, in our church, in our community, in our country, Father. We know that your spirit is able to do that work. So I pray that we would take action on these realities this week. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.